Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast, hosted by Brian Bisking. Brian started this weekly podcast to give a voice to leaders of our community, to share their story, their journey, and the lessons that they have learned along the way. Brian grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis, where he watched his father run a small business and was always interested in how the leaders in his community got where they are. Whether it's a local business leader, a philanthropist, or a celebrity, these are your STL Leaders. Join us today, where we will chat with another pillar of our community on this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. And now, your host, Brian Bisking. Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. On this week's episode, we welcome Vance Crow to the show. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to thank my sponsors. First, Synchrony HR, NWO IT Services, Edward Jones, the Tom James Company, and Enterprise Bank and Trust. And now to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. Vance, welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast. I appreciate you joining me. Hey, glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, I had heard your name around St. Louis on a couple occasions, and so uh, we reached out and connected with each other on LinkedIn, and we're able to make this happen today. So I'm excited to have you have you join the show. Yeah, it's always fun to see how people get connected with one another, particularly in St. Louis, which is a really highly networked community, more than other places I've been. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's, I would kind of start, I guess I could say in the beginning, but talk to us about growing up and then your path to your current organization. Sure. I grew up as the middle child of seven in small town, central Illinois. And the only thing I wanted in the whole world was to leave. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'd worked on farms and, and did construction things like that, really kind of manual labor jobs. And then I went away to the city and uh, studied public relations and communications. And I got all the way to the end of my college uh, career uh, doing a PR uh, track. And I had an internship at the end of my senior year. And I realized, oh my God, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And so I left the professional uh, world and I actually became a deckhand on a ship. And that started me on an adventure that took me all over uh, the United States, Latin America. Eventually I joined the Peace Corps and went to Kenya. And finally, after several years of kind of traveling around the world, I ended up getting a master's degree in negotiations and took a job at the World Bank where I worked for several years before uh, meeting my wife. And we decided we wanted to uh, help her move from being an aerospace engineer to a physical therapist. And the best physical therapy program in the nation is in St. Louis, so we came here. And I just could not possibly have imagined that we would stay. But once we got here and developed roots, uh, we decided we were going to stay. So I took a job with Monsanto for a few years where I was the director of millennial engagement, meaning that uh, all those people that have strong feelings about GMOs and pesticides, I was the guy they sent out to talk to them. And then uh, when Bear bought Monsanto, I ended up um, deciding that that wasn't really the, the place I wanted to be anymore. So I left and uh, started my own company again. I had a, a company before I went to Monsanto. And uh, that's got me doing what I'm doing now, which is a combination of going out and speaking largely to ag and banking audiences. And then uh, I also here in St. Louis do these things called legacy interviews where I sit down with people and record 
their their history to be able to be saved and passed on to future generations. That's really neat. And what's the name of your organization for those who don't know? It's called Articulate Ventures. And awesome. uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a cool little name on that. Absolutely. So I'm going to go back a little bit because you threw me off there with the deckhands. So were you like on a cruise ship or, or what kind of what you like? You, you left the city and you got on a ship. What 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 how'd that happen? I got some of the best advice I could have gotten when I was a senior. I was kind of losing my mind because I knew I didn't want to go into the corporate public relations world. And so I met with a longtime family friend, an old man, probably in about his 90s. And he sat me down and says, well, if you don't want to do that, what do you want to do? And I kind of made jokes and kind of avoided the question like a lot of young people do because I didn't know what answer I had. And he said, no, I really want you to tell me if you had en endless amounts of money, what would you do? And I said, I would travel. And he said, well, if you want to travel, uh, you can do it one of two ways. You can either work 50 weeks a year to have two weeks of vacation where you travel, or you can find a job that will pay you to travel. And I knew that no one was going to pay me to head up their Singapore office in public <laughs> relations because I didn't know anything. So I started looking around for jobs I could do, and Deckhand was, uh, was one of them. And I, I was... Uh, really delighted when they accepted me as a deckhand. I didn't realize they'll accept pretty much anybody, but at the time it seemed like a big honor and that's how I got into that world. That's really cool. I, I had a friend, um, this is a long time ago in college. Uh, when she graduated college, she went to be a bartender on a cruise ship. I don't even know what cruise ship it was uh, anymore, but, um, and I always thought like, there's people who do that. That's really kind of cool, right? Like you get to go be on vacation every day of your life, uh, pretty much. But uh, I know there's a lot more to it than that, but kind of a kind of a neat path to kind of where you are at today. So you talked to us a little bit about your current organization. Uh, tell us more about, you know, these legacy ventures that you do. So this started off that I was speaking all the time. I was traveling, um, you know, maybe 60% of my time and then COVID hit. And all of yeah. a sudden I had a lot of time and um, my wife was pregnant. So we had a lot of questions about what's going on with uh, COVID. What are, what are real things that we should know about more than just what you hear on regular news. And so I started doing, um, instead of one podcast a week, I started doing maybe close to six or seven podcasts a week. Wow. And this really developed into me building a big audience and uh, a relationship with my audience. And around Christmas time, I had some extra time. So I um, had a friend that came over to my house and his son uh, wanted to do the intro to my podcast. My podcast has this intro like, you're listening to the Vance Crow podcast. And so he wanted to be that voice. And so we got him down into the studio and we recorded him. And then because we had gotten all that equipment out, I decided, hey, why don't I just do a little interview with him? I won't air it, but like, what do you think your dad does for a living? What do you, who do you admire right now? What is important to you? And uh, we did about 30 minutes of that interview and I packaged it up and I sent it to his dad a few days later. And a, a couple of months went by and his dad called me up and said, hey man, I was playing a game the other day with a group of friends that said, if your house was on fire and you could only go grab one thing, what would you grab? And it was that interview that you had sent me about my son. And so I immediately knew hey, this is something important. And so I started to offer it around Christmas time. Hey, is there, are there any listeners that want to do this? And I had dozens and dozens of people do it. And so I started to realize there's a lot of people out there that want to capture those stories of their parents, their grandparents, even their kids. Um, but they can't do it themselves because, you know, you right. just don't have the same answers. So I started doing this and it's built into a full business. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. So I I hear exactly what you what you said there for on a personal level for me. Uh, you know, I had my dad on this podcast, oh, geez, uh, over a year ago, kind of when I started this podcast. 
Um, and my dad's been a kind of an inspiration to me kind of my whole life. He was, I mean, he was a barber in Edwardsville, Illinois, but he knew everyone. He, you know, he cut hair for, you know, all the, you know, highly known people. And I guess you could say in Edwardsville and, and the way he was able to just make friends and, and connect with people is kind of how I got into networking and things along those lines. And so, you know, I had him on my podcast and that's something I always will cherish just because now I can, you know, when, you know, God forbid, when my dad's not here anymore, I can go back and listen to that, that podcast episode and have that conversation uh, with my dad. And something else I did, and I don't, maybe you've heard of this is there's this company out there called StoryWorth. Have you heard of StoryWorth? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I gave my dad that for Christmas. And for those listening who don't know what it is, essentially, it's um, it's a company that basically gives my father a question every every Monday is when he does his. And I, and I can pick questions. I can write my own questions or you can you know pick from a list of questions that they have. And that question can be, you know, tell me a, a tell me a story about your childhood friend. Um, and then my dad can write an answer to that question. And then they package that all up into a book. Uh, and so basically he'll get that book at the end of this year when he's uh, answered 52 questions. And so it's very similar to what you're doing. Only yours is, you know, you know, much more of a, a digital version, I guess you could say, than than a book version. Yeah. And it's been an interesting thing because we've had people that have done that and then did the video interviews. And I think there's something about not feeling the pressure to write things down where stories come up that, um, maybe the person writing them down wouldn't even think of because you have another person totally. in front of you that says, oh, that's interesting. And so it's been a very interesting adventure to see who does well under these legacy interviews and, and um, yeah, just kind of the subtle differences between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and to your point, you know, my, my dad's just sitting there in front of a computer answering this question. Who knows what's going on in his head? If, if somebody who was sitting across from you and being interviewed by you, you would probably get a totally different answer because my dad likes to talk and doesn't necessarily like to write. So uh, very cool uh that you're doing that talk to me a little bit about public speaking you mentioned kind of you know you were doing all public speaking kind of before covid hit um how did how did you get into the public speaking and how did that take off for you so i was working at monsanto and when i first came there they brought me in because they said we have this massive problem we believe we're delivering some of the best technology the world has ever seen and yet the world is afraid and even angry about what we're doing so we need somebody to come in and and change the way we're doing communications and so i was a part of a very small group and initially the way they had thought about it was well why don't you get in there find where the millennials are find what conferences we should sponsor and we'll go sponsor those conferences and then get five minutes on the stage to do a little spiel so that's what you should do and it didn't take me very long to realize that the world viewed monsanto as north korea and it doesn't matter how shiny your billboards are or you know how crisp your brand looks if the world views you as north korea they're not going to come around to you so i decided to invert this instead of spending money to pay for conferences where really all you're doing is finding the market rate for how much people don't want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I instead did, I said, Hey, I will answer literally any question anyone has. And I started reaching out to activist groups, people that really thought they disliked Monsanto and farm groups and all, all everything in between. And people really responded to it. They said, wow, you'll come answer these questions. Yeah, sure. We got a chair right here for you. And what we discovered very quickly was this was so much more powerful than spending money was just standing up there and having a really genuine conversation with people. And that just built until basically my entire job as director of millennial engagement became strategy 
and speaking. And then when Bear Kate took over, I realized like there's still a ton of demand for this. I was getting offered, you know, two, three times a week to go out and speak. And so I decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to go out and keep speaking about the things that I find interesting and uh, we'll see if it works. And it did. When I left uh, Bear, I actually, the number of offers I had to go speak all the time went up. And it was a lot because I had a very focused audience, farming and people in banking and people kind of connected to this. And so that kind of drove more and more interest and kind of led me to doing it so much. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us about what you're, when you're going out and doing these speaking engagements, what are you, what are you talking about? What are you speaking to people about? So my background is in negotiations. I studied it at the graduate level and then uh, worked on it when I was at the World Bank. And so I often come to groups to say, look, this is why the other side views you the way that they do. And they're not crazy and they're not bad, but this is why they've come to those conclusions. Now, if you want to change their perspective, these are things that you can do to engage another person, no matter if they're angry, no matter if they don't like you. Um, it doesn't even matter if they aren't educated on why they're angry about you. These are things you can do. So a lot of times my talks are a balance between perspective, philosophy, and negotiation kind of tactics. And those can be you know, put into infinite number of formats. You could talk about GMOs and how do you talk with people that are afraid of them if you're a farmer, or it could be um, challenges where people that are um, buying land and turning it from farmland into the city property and wanna change the rules. How do you go engage with people that say not in my backyard? And it, it really just kind of evolves if you can take any of those three perspectives and apply it to an audience's challenges. That's pretty neat. That's pretty cool. So I'm assuming you've been all over the world speaking. Yeah, I've had a chance to speak uh, throughout Europe, uh, Canada, the United States. Right before COVID, I was headed to New Zealand and Australia. And so um, it was it was really all the time everywhere. So now that COVID is um, here and I, you know, depending on what day, <laughs> what day you get on Twitter or, and what channel news you're watching is whether COVID's gone or whether it's coming back. You know, I, I, I told my wife this morning, I got up this morning on Twitter and, um, you know, after I saw, uh, Will Smith smacked the crap out of Chris Rock in the face. I saw that, um, over in China, Shanghai, the busiest city in China right now is locking their city down again, right? It's, they're going to make testing. They're going to be testing everybody and COVID's running rampant over there. Now I'm hopeful and I don't know enough to really speak on this topic, but I'm hopeful that the United States has done a little bit of better job of mitigating it through vaccines and, and, you know, uh, treatments and things along those lines. But has your speaking picked back up now that COVID has started to dwindle a little bit here in the United States, or are you still kind of doing virtual? Yeah, almost all of my stuff is in person. I do virtual things, but since I'm with an ag audience, they were essential workers and they very, yeah. very quickly got over uh, the concerns about COVID. And the biggest challenge they had for managing conferences was they held conferences in cities where the hotels uh, didn't want to host them or you know, sure. had all kinds of rules. So um, since uh, maybe November of last year, it started to pick back up. Now, one of the things I realized during COVID was I don't want to be gone all the time. I have a new daughter and, and we're going to have another one on the way. And so when the legacy interviews came up, I realized this is a way for me to be as present. I mean, the reason I really like public speaking is I oftentimes am up there talking about things that I don't fully understand. I'm having a conversation, a relationship with the audience, and it's a very... Um, you have to be totally present. You have to be able to make people laugh. You have to be able to engage them. You have to be able to handle if they have questions or things that they don't like about what you're saying. 
And so the thrill of that, the adrenaline was not unlike surfing, which uh, is just like you, you can't be thinking about anything else. You have to be right there. And sure. the legacy interviews gave me that same level of adrenaline. It's not a big stage, but if you're really going to talk with people about the challenges that they faced in their life, maybe they lost a child, maybe they were married and the marriage dissolved and they are talking about it for their children to hear for the first time, you have to be every bit as present in that moment. And so for me, the the speaking um, has been slow to come back because I've actually been a lot more selective about which ones I'm taking because I'd rather be home and I'd actually candidly rather be doing interviews. Absolutely. So I'll ask you this again before we uh, wrap up here today, but where can we, if, if the audience listening to this episode wants to find out more about you and listen to some of these interviews, where can they get those at? So the podcast is called the Vance Crow Podcast. So you can get it on Spotify or YouTube, or you can just go to vancecrow.com, which is where my speaking stuff is. And then if they're interested in legacy interviews, you can just go to articulate.ventures. And there you can find the page where we do these interviews. Awesome. Cool. And now for a quick break, we bring in our sponsor, Enterprise Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Enterprise Bank and Trust knows that every business and every person is unique. That's why they get to know you in a way that the large financial institutions don't. They are our banking partner here at the STL Leaders, and I highly recommend that you check them out. To learn more, visit enterprisebank.com. And now, back to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. Let's shift gears here a little bit. Let's talk about your views on leadership. Uh, obviously, this podcast was formulated because I, uh, you know, back in 2020 when COVID hit, I wanted to do something to really share with the St. Louis audience who the leaders of our communities are, like yourself. Uh, and so talk to me a little bit about your view on leadership and how do you lead? I think leadership is one of those things that we have a hard time in our culture talking about it because the core of leadership is taking responsibility and it's about figuring out what needs to be done and what do i know about how to get that done and oftentimes that's just picking up a shovel and doing the digging yourself but over the long term it has to be how can i um, motivate and encourage and create a vision so that other people want to pick up those shovels and build Absolutely. But when you start thinking about that, right, like it, it's uncomfortable for people to call themselves leaders. It's, it's uncomfortable for people to claim that they are in charge. Um, but it's one of those things that real leaders just need to get over that kind of cultural um, mishmash we have about that and just say, look, nobody else is coming to save me or us. The only way it's going to get done is if I apply work to my vision and get other people to come along with me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and to your point, um, inside of that answer there, you know, just because you're in a role that's a leadership role doesn't necessarily mean you're an effective leader. Um, and I think that the leaders that are effective leaders are the ones that can have a team rally behind them and want to come to work every day and do the work that's out there to make the organization look good. And you as the leader look good, right? And if you cannot get a team to rally around you by that, that doesn't, I, you know, that I would question you know, your, your leadership mentality and your leadership traits. Um, talk to me about your leadership traits. You know, I, I have a lot of people on here that tell me they're servant leaders and, uh, we talk a lot about what that means. And I had someone on, uh, last, last, last week talked about, you know, taking the org chart and flipping that upside down and, and leading from, um, from, uh, with below talk to me about your leadership traits and kind of how you view yourself as a leader. In my opportunities to do a big leadership where I'm leading a larger group of teams, um, my biggest role or the biggest way that I view it is to say, what is it that you think should be done that isn't being done? 
and really pushing people to think about um, what do what would I do if I were responsible for this? Because oftentimes people that are lower down in an organization, whether they're newer to an organization or they've been in an organization for a long time, they've been convinced that somebody else is going to solve the problem or that it's not really their place to do it. And so I am always asking people, um, what do you think we should do here? If, uh, if you were going to make this call, what would you do differently than the way that we're doing it? And the, this takes a long time to actually implement because a lot of people pretend to do that. But, but when they ask for people's advice, if they don't give the, um, the feedback that they want, the leader just says, no, we're going to do it this way anyway. And so you really have to. It's, it's just like if you ask somebody for a book recommendation, then you better read that book. Yeah. The same thing is if you ask for a, a person in your organization's ideas on what you should do, you've got to let them try it. You've got to really give them an opportunity to show you that even if you thought it was not going to work, that maybe their way of making it happen could work. And so I, I really think that's one of the the biggest things that I do is always pushing people to try their own ideas. Yeah, you empower them, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think the times when I was the best uh, employee or working for somebody else or when people empowered me and said, we, we don't want to, we're not here to give you permission. We're here to just empower you to get things done. Well, and I think what that does is allows employees to feel like they're giving back and they're a part of something, right? Instead of just clocking in and clocking out, they're making a difference in the organization they work for because they're ha their voice is being heard in whatever it is that the mission of the project or whatever that case may be. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing a leader has to do is to show people where the progress is happening, even if it isn't obvious, because people need to feel progress. If that is the source of happiness. That's the source of drive. That's the source of contentment. And so a leader's responsibility, once they empower people, is to show them how things are progressing forward. And if they're not having real conversations about what would progress look like and, and how will we get there if we're not delivering it right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you were sitting across the table for somebody who was aspiring to be a leader inside of Monsanto or Bear or Anheuser-Busch or, or a larger organization, or, you know, take that back, even a small company, what would you tell an aspiring leader and what they could do to kind of propel themselves into more of a leadership type role or to be recognized by that organization? I think the very first step for anyone that's going to become a real leader, particularly in a large, complicated um, bureaucratic organization like a Fortune 500 company, is to be as curious as you can about the people that you see being successful. And success, not just being the people that have the highest position, but the people right. that are actually able to get things done and asking them questions. And one of the things you find very quickly, even if you're a young person, is most people go most of their lives never being listened to. You know, like they, they never have somebody ask them how they did what they did. They never have somebody um, ask them a question and genuinely want to know the answer as opposed to they're asking a question to lead them to an answer. And so your ability to uh, ask people questions about how they've done what they've done will set you apart by itself. And then the answers that you will hear from people will change you in ways that you can't even consciously comprehend. You're going to hear things and it will come through osmosis. So anybody that wants to get somewhere should become insatiably curious about the people that they admire. I love that piece of advice because um, it's so true. Um, you know, I've done a lot of interviews, obviously, on this podcast. And one of the reasons, one of the things that I get the most out of it is being able to ask the questions of, 
hey, how, how did you get where you're at today? How did you become the CEO of Enterprise Bank and Trust? Or how did you become the CIO of Centene Corp? Or whatever that, that, that is. Um, and it's always very fascinating to hear how those people got there. Um, and the whole point of the show is to give back to the St. Louis audience saying, hey, you know, you can be this person too. You just got to ask the right questions and follow similar footpaths that, the, that this individual has taken. So I think you know, asking questions, being curious, um, thinking outside the box. And then to your point, if you're going to ask those questions and you're going to get advice from somebody, apply that to your life, right? Just like if you ask for a, a book recommendation, you better go read that book because most likely that person next time they see you, you're going to ask, well, what do you think of that book? And you better, you better know that you can, you can answer that question. Yeah. And if you do, I mean, that's one of the things I don't, I don't ask for book recommendations very often, but when I do, and I read that book, you now have a real deep connection with this person because very often they give book recommendations and they never hear back from the people. So it sets you apart. Just read the book. And Absolutely. even if you don't like it, that's okay. Uh, you don't have to pretend like you did. Just the fact that you took the time to read it, you committed nine hours or so to put it in, is makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Totally. Totally. Well, I always end this podcast, Vance, by asking my guests to leave us with a piece of advice. Uh, and that could be on personal life. That could be on business. That could be on leadership. That could be on negotiations. But if you could leave uh, the audience today with a piece of advice, what would it be? I believe that every person has a voice inside of them that they don't actually control. It's it's a voice that uh, has a relationship with you. It's your best friend. It's your worst enemy. It's your inspiration. Um, but the most important thing in life is that when you go to talk with this voice, whether it's looking at yourself in the mirror or sitting down in the morning when no one's awake yet, the most important thing is that you are friends with that person and that uh, you don't do things that make that voice inside of your head, that one that tells you what's right and what's wrong, uh, that you don't that you don't get sideways with it, that you don't try and cheat it, because that's the voice that that is the one that you're always talking with. So, as as uh, oblique and kind of weird as that advice is, I really think that looking into the mirror and being able to be friends with that inner voice is the most important thing. No matter whether you're a leader or just a, a regular line employee or a stay-at-home mom or a kid. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate that. And that's good advice to leave us with today. So on behalf of myself and the STL Leaders Podcast, Vance, I appreciate you being a great STL leader, coming on our show and sharing your wisdom with us and kind of your career path. Um, and thank you for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me.